You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. The T-Biz Podcast delivers T-News that you need to know. A recap of the week's major headlines with commentary and cultural trends hosted by Dan Bolton. It is the voice of origin for tea professionals and enthusiasts worldwide. Think of us as a digital caravan of storytellers, bringing authentic, authoritative, and exclusive stories to you weekly from the tea lands. Hello, everyone. Here are this week's headlines. Finley's and Ferminate partner in tea and coffee. Nothing is normal in logistics, a TN22 forecast, and Japan tea exports rise to a new record. More in a minute, but first, this important message. What makes a perfect cup of Ceylon tea? The perfect cup is from the tea businesses that ensure the protection of all the children living within their tea estates. We salute Keilani Valley, Telawakili, Bogawanthalawa, Harana, and Eliptia Tea Estates. Support Save the Children, Sri Lanka. Fremenek, the world's largest privately owned fragrance and taste company, will market the full line of Finlay's European tea and coffee extracts portfolio in Europe. Finlay's is a major supplier of tea, coffee, and botanical solutions. Foremost among these holdings is a fast-growing cold brew segment. The partnership focuses exclusively on Finlay's range of tea and coffee extracts. The portfolio includes the Wellbeing Collection, a premium all-natural bioactive tea extracts processed by Finlay's at its tea gardens in Kenya. Rachel Jones, Finlay's Group Head of Business Development, said that, quote, Fermanek's strong market coverage, deep understanding of taste and application know-how will enable Finlay's products to reach a broader audience in Europe, end quote. Fermanek, headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland, dates to 1895 with an annual turnover of 4.3 billion Swiss francs. Finlay's dates to 1750 and is part of the multi-billion dollar Swire Group. The pouches, tins, and boxes of tea on the world's retail shelves travel a long and complex journey in the best of times. These are not the best of times. The promised return to normal, delayed and delayed and delayed again, now appears unlikely in 2022. Quote, The chaos at ports, warehouses, and retailers will probably persist through the year and perhaps even longer, end quote, according to the New York Times. 
Congestion at ports is getting worse around the world and prices continue to rise, leading experts to predict that cheap and reliable shipping may disappear for the foreseeable future. The pandemic revealed the shortcomings of just-in-time delivery, leading manufacturers to shorten supply chains. Blending and packaging at origin is to be encouraged as it increases T-value for producers, but that assumes inexpensive shipping. T's supply chain requires the annual transport of billions of kilos, 40% of which travels long distances. China, for example, supplies virtually all of the world's green tea, exporting significant quantities to 67 countries. India, Kenya, and Sri Lanka supply the world with its black tea. Thousands of kilometers separate equatorial tea producers from the industrial northern countries where consumption is high. Developed countries in North America and Europe, along with Pakistan and Russia, are competitive commodity markets where low prices prevail. At one point last fall, the cost of shipping a container from India to Europe exceeded the value of the lower-grade tea within. Shipping a container of tea 10,800 nautical miles from China to Europe last May exceeded $10,000, more than a dollar a mile. Tea is seasonal, but thrives in both hemispheres, lending a natural rhythm to the supply chain's packers and distributors that was badly disrupted the past two years due to the shortage of containers and late-arriving ships. Shipping by sea or rail are the only practical methods of transport given the cost of long-haul trucking and air freight. Whether packed and palleted for retail, which requires a greater number of containers, or dense and heavy and sold in bulk sacks ranging from 60 kilos to a container of super sacks from Argentina weighing 20,000 kilos, a shift to larger orders and stockpiling will significantly increase cost. The Times reports that resolving the great supply chain disruption will require investment, technology, and the refashioning of incentives. Quote, It will take more ships, additional warehouses, and an influx of truck drivers, none of which can be conjured quickly or cheaply. Many months and perhaps years are likely to transpire before the chaos subsides. End quote. Visit the TBiz blog for an in-depth look at why nothing is normal in tea logistics, part 8 of the Tea in 22 forecast. Japanese tea exports led by matcha grew both in value and volume in 2021. The Ministry of Finance reports a 26.1% increase in value to 20.4 billion yen, about 178.2 million U.S., a record high for sales that easily surpassed the 16.2 billion yen exported in 2020. Revenue from green tea exports has doubled from 10 billion yen in 2015, mainly on sales of high-value green teas, 
Matcha accounted for 65.3% of total exports by volume. Export volume increased by 17.1% to 6,178 metric tons. Japan is the second largest green tea exporter, but export totals are far behind China, which generates almost $2 billion annually in sales of green tea. Domestic demand for leaf tea has declined as consumers switch to -to ready-to-drink tea in bottles and cans. RTD tea is quite popular in Japan, accounting for 30% of non-alcoholic beverages, double the share held by soda, and 10% greater than RTD coffee, according to the Asahi Factbook 2020. The U.S. is Japan's top loose-leaf tea and matcha tea trading partner, accounting for $10.3 billion in sales and growing 22.1% year-over-year. Germany purchased 2 billion yen, an increase of 73.9% in sales, and Taiwan sales were up 9.9% to 1.7 billion. Consolidation is evident as growers expand operations in Kagoshima and contract in traditional tea growing prefectures, including Shizuoka. The top three prefectures now produce 70% of Japanese tea. Total hectares under tea declined from 44,000 in 2015 to 39,000 hectares, according to MAF statistics on farmland and crop acreage. Commercial tea farms in Kagoshima now average 3.3 hectares, about 8 acres, more than double the 1.5 hectares average in 2000. The National Association of Tea Production Organizations reports that the first flush Kayakura now earns the highest price at about 4,900 yen per kilo, followed by Tensha at 3,000 yen per kilo. Bancha sells for 693 yen per kilo, and the average price for Sencha, which is Japan's most popular tea, was 1,872 yen per kilo in 2019, about $16.35 U.S. Production volumes exceeded 100,000 metric tons in 2004, but have since fallen to 80,000 metric tons, of which 69,800 is green tea. As a result, in 2020, Japan imported about 4,000 metric tons of tea and exported only about 5,000 metric tons, according to MAV. An acute problem is aging growers, most for over 65 years. The 2015 census showed 56%, with fewer family households also producing tea. Rootstock is aging as well, with 40% of tea trees now 30 years and older. In memoriam, Charleston Tea Garden founder Bill Hall, 73, passed this week, ending a long career in tea. He was trained as a tea taster in England, but spent most of his years in South Carolina, operating the largest commercial tea garden in the United States, a venture owned by Bigelow Tea. Darvinda's away this week. 
This is Dan Bolton with the India Tea Price Watch for 29 January, sale number four. Outgoing ITA Chairman Vivek Goenka announced that consultants Ernst & Young and Kaitan & Company, retained last year to study India's tea auctions, will report within four weeks on how to establish a floor price at auction as well as determining a benchmark price to be paid growers for raw leaf at the factory door. This is not a minimum supply price for tea. It is a floor price determined by the cost of production and quality parameters, such as the condition of the leaf, which varies by season. All producers, large and small, must adhere to quality standards established by the Tea Research Association and UPASI, South India's Association of Growers. Goenka told the 138th Assembly of the India Tea Association that half of the tea sold is now at prices below the cost of production. The real, not apparent, price of tea has been falling for 30 years, he said. In the past 10 years, tea prices have increased by 4%, while the cost of vital imports increased between 9% and 12%. Quote, Without a price increase, neither can the tea producer sustain nor make quality teas, end quote, he told the group, which met virtually again this year due to COVID concerns. In prices, volume was 844 metric tons of leaf and dust at Konor, 821 metric tons at Cochin, and 265 metric tons at Coimbatore in South India, where the average price per kilo was 121 rupees. In North India, volumes were about double that of the South, with Siliguri reporting 3,309 metric tons of leaf and dust, sold at an average price of 140 rupees. Guwahati reported 1,813 metric tons, averaging 147 rupees per kilo. Total sales volume was 5,202 metric tons. There was no sale this week in Kolkata. And now, a word from our sponsor. Q-Trade understands that a successful tea blend goes beyond the creative fusion of appearance, aroma, and flavor. Our multi-award winning product development team is passionate about converting natural ingredients into sensory experiences that customers crave. Every recipe is formulated with a commercial backbone of dependable quality sourcing with a pricing structure that supports a safe, regulated, profitable, and scalable blend. Q-Trade meets every brand's retail, food service, and e-commerce need. For more information, visit our website, qtradetees.com. This week, TBS travels to Amsterdam in the Netherlands, where Judith Fratt, Senior Program Manager at IDH, the Sustainable Tea Initiative, discusses the living wage roadmap and how tea companies can ensure a living wage for workers at every link of the supply chain. A sustainable future in tea depends on a shared responsibility among stakeholders to assure living wages 
for workers and a living income for smallholders. Last fall, Netherlands-based IDH, the Sustainable Trade Initiative, introduced the Living Wages Roadmap, a platform, online wage matrix, and guide to help businesses assess potential wage gaps along their supply chain. Case studies show that companies that pay a living wage achieve greater productivity, lower turnover, and a competitive marketing advantage by improving the quality of life for workers. This week, we welcome Judith Freitz, Senior Program Manager at IDH in Amsterdam. Judith, thank you so much for joining us on the TBS podcast. Thanks for your invitation, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here today. Why is achieving a living wage for tea workers at origin a priority? Inequality is a big threat that we're, we're facing globally at the moment. And moving towards living wages enables structural change to break the cycle of poverty. But it also helps us to move towards a more inclusive society and reduce some of these inequalities. Let's not forget that an adequate standard of living is a fundamental human right. And I think second to that, we see a growing amount of consumers, mostly in developed countries, that are asking these questions, right, to to their retailers and the brands that they consume. Can you prove to us that the workers and the farmers who have been engaged in making this product, that they are able to earn a decent living, right? Do they earn enough with what, what you're paying them? My final point on that one is that next to reducing inequalities, there is also a positive business impact by starting to work um, proactively on addressing living wages, right? It can improve your business. It can potentially create market opportunities by lowering reputational risks or reducing employee turnover. That's things that we have seen that can actually also benefit your business in the long term, right? So I think those... Three elements for us are really key to work on living wages, but definitely foremost, the fact that it's a fundamental human right and that we should all strive uh, for that. In T, labor issues and wages attract consumer scrutiny and debate. Will you share IDH's experience in the tea sector? I think maybe some of the listeners uh, are familiar with um, uh, the program that we've run on living wages in, in Malawi called Malawi T2020, which was a supply chain-wide commitment on living wages with the objective really to ensure that the Malawian tea industry remained competitive whilst working towards a living wage for its workers and also a living income for smallholders. The predominant focus of this program was on living wages. That program is that together with a really wide set of partners, we convene 36 organizations with living wage at its core, but also looking at holistically a number of other areas which needed to be incorporated in order to address living wages. We One of the things that was really um, at the center of this is we can't work on wages if there is no tea industry in the future uh, in Malawi, right? So this competitiveness was a really important aspect, looking at how can we enhance the productivity and the quality, but also looking at how can we further improve social dialogue. One of the things that we managed to achieve through the program was the the development of the first uh, collective bargaining agreement, for example. 
over a five-year period, we've been able to reduce the living wage gap from two-thirds to to one-third, which means that there is still a gap, right? But we've come quite a long way. The gap was quite massive to start off with. Uh, as IDH, we're, we're here to continue working with the tea industry to help them on their journey in living wages uh, and, and to make progress to close living wage gaps together. Will you explain the difference between a living wage and a living income? The term of living income is coming up more and more. And when we talk about smallholders, we are actually not talking about living wage, but that's when we start talking about the living income. So exactly. the concept is similar. We were where both the focus is around uh, achieving a decent standard of living for households. However, living wages applies to a hired worker setting, while living income focuses on a self-employed farmer, for example. Last fall, IDH introduced the Roadmap on Living Wages, a platform that helps companies secure living wages along their supply chain. Will you explain this new program to listeners? The, the roadmap has really been built on best practices uh, that we've gained throughout the years as IDH working um, within the tea sector, but also flowers, apparel and fruit and vegetables, for example. And it exists out of five steps that we've identified in order to start working on, on living wages within your supply chain, where the first step is actually to identify what's the living wage benchmark for the region that you're you're sourcing from. We have a benchmark tool uh, available on the IDH website where you're able to identify which benchmarks are um, available for your sourcing regions. And once you know the benchmark, you obviously would like to know whether there's a difference between the actual wages that are being paid by the suppliers within your supply chain. Um, and in order to help companies um, in that process, we have developed the salary matrix tool which is a self-assessment tool for producers to calculate current remuneration, including bonuses and in-kind benefits. And this is comparing against the living wage benchmark. This tool helps you to understand what is the size of the gap, if there's a gap at all. Uh, but it also helps you over years to, to monitor progress and support work with, for example, certification programs who have um, and who are continuously improving their living wage requirements. A step three, we recommend uh, to find a trustworthy way of verifying those calculations, right? Because it's in principle a self-assessment. And our ultimate goal as IDH is that these gaps are being verified by audits through certification schemes. We are not there yet completely, but that's a process that's very much ongoing. And then I think the most tricky step of all is step four and actually closing the gap that you'll find. And, and once the size of the gap is clear, you need creative and innovative approaches to remove these barriers and actually make progress towards closing this gap, which we believe is a shared responsibility and, and should be done very much in close connect with local stakeholders. And then as a fifth step, in order to, to move towards action, uh, although we do see that action is sector specific and also context dependent, but you can learn so much across from all these different experiences that sharing insights, learnings, best practices, what has worked well, what hasn't, is really key to, to further advance the, the living wage journey that many uh, of us and companies that we're working with are on. So. 
Uh, those are the, the five steps of the roadmap in a nutshell. We are also working on a living income roadmap, which actually mirrors those five steps. They're the same, although the actual process and implementation is obviously uh, tailored to the smallholder setting. Intrigued by what you heard in today's podcast? Would you like to learn more from our global network of T-Biz journalists and T-experts? Remember to visit the T-Biz website for more comprehensive coverage. That's www.t-bizbiz.com. Thanks for listening. Farewell till next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.